0: Okay, uh, welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B coming to you from 29th Street and Park Avenue, about eight blocks away from our sponsor. Hands Tooth Pub and Stitch Bar. My guest knows them because he's worked there with me on yeah. things called jams. We used to do when we work together. Yeah, he doesn't stuff. need a huge amount of introduction. Uh, he's one of the biggest names in advertising in New York for the past twenty years, I'd say. Ty, and he then his name is Ty Montague. Welcome to the podcast, Ty Montague. Thank
1: you, sir. Glad we to be
0: worked together. Ty hired me uh, with his partner Rosemary Ryan, who I'm hoping to get on the podcast at some point in the future, in guess what year?
1: Uh, let's see, I got there in 2005, so 2008.
0: Correct, yeah. which is nearly oh. years ago, which is crazy. That is crazy. And uh, we, I, I have talked to a few people, actually, Ty, and mentioned you and Rose as two of the people that I thought were my best bosses.
1: That's nice to hear.
0: Simply because I think you, everybody knew where you were trying to go. As a four or five hundred person company, you were turning an oil tanker. Yeah. But it was clear. Rosemary has this nice passive aggressiveness about her where she kind of of asks you to do something. And then if you kind of roll your eyes, she goes, never mind, I'll do it. And then you go, no, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it. Still but to you, this day, still true. But you you brought, you double the size. Of, I know we do. And uh, she's great. But I think that, that's the point. Everybody knew. I mean, you gave me good marching orders and left me as much rope to hang myself as I eventually did. It's good to hear. But, but it, was, it was good like that. And you doubled the size of the company in about five years. Yeah. And you brought in a stuffy old agency and brought in the Google designers and made it look like an ad agency. Yeah. Why did you leave it?
1: yeah that's a great question you know it was um so just a little a little kind of i'll back up a little bit like i was always afraid of big agencies you know i I worked mostly at smaller sort of creatively focused places and i was always terrified of big agencies because it seemed like the product there was money rather than good work you know and uh but going to jwt like rose Went a year ahead of me and then tricked me into joining her <laughs> there. <laughs> and, uh, You know, she she hypnotized me or, or whatever, and um, it was the best experience I've, one of the best I've had in the business, just yeah. because I learned so much there. Yeah. You know, like it's, I'd worked inside agencies that were global, had global outposts, BBH and companies like that, but it was just the first time at a proper global network mm-hmm. and. Uh, It was awesome you know like just it was hard as hell and and it was really hard but 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 I learned so much like I never actually went to college but for me going to JVT was like oh really let's talk about misfits yeah yeah. so so going to JWT for me was just educational at almost every possible level. And I met so many people, it was so cool to work, meet creative people from around the world. I, yeah. I got to be on the Worldwide Creative That's Council right. there yeah. and stuff. So it was it was a great experience. But ultimately, it felt like, to answer your question, that um, even though we'd had a really good time there and, and, and the future looked good, as we began to really understand what JWT's role was inside WPP's strategy. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, Martin is an incredibly smart businessman. Like, yeah. his strategy is, is working, yeah. but it doesn't allow you to truly reinvent a place no. like JWT. And so at the end of the day, it felt like spending more time there would be more about managing decline than, than about... Um, Reinvention, And we were just more interested in reinvention. And so we decided to, you know, take what, you know, many at the time and probably still do think of was the the insane sort of uh, choice yeah. of jumping out to start our own place. And, um, you know, we
0: had, a, I mean, I, I remember when you were, you had jumped. Yeah. And I didn't last much longer after that because you guys kind of protected me. <laughs> Lots of the evil demons that were in there. But uh, I remember talking to, I think, Rose or something, and she was saying, you know, the point was when you, even though you had all this success, you still had to haggle and negotiate for a 100 grand hire with the finance department, and, and it would, might take weeks by which stage the hot, young yeah. client service director has basically taken herself off to somebody else. Yeah. So it's no, frustrating. Right.
1: At the end of the day, we weren't owners. Yeah. And and the owners had different plans and had, a, had a, you know, a kind of structure in place to make sure that their plans were executed. And I get yeah, that, yeah. you know, and good on them. But uh, we just decided, you know, it, it made more sense to try our hands at being actual owners.
0: You know. We'll talk about CO maybe towards the end yeah, and sure. what it does. The the uh, you're from uh, New Mexico, right? Yeah,
1: I am Albuquerque. Mental.
0: Right. Okay. I think you're one of the only people I know from New Mexico. Yeah. Well, um, we're uh, rare. Uh, what is Albuquerque like to grow up in?
1: Albuquerque was awesome. Albuquerque was like it's it's uh, you know maybe a cliche, but it's it's an incredible melting pot there because you've got um, Chicano culture, which is uh, a mixture of Indian and Mexican culture that yeah. has its own unique flavor. Then you've got Native American culture there. You've got cowboy culture. You know, it's it's parts of it are rednecky. It's a university town, so you've got that flavor yeah. going on. And then it became a kind of hideout for people, you know, misfits from the '60s and '70s. Yeah. And so it's got that kind of. Hippie what were your folks doing? What thing. So my dad went there originally to get his PhD, and um, at the at UNM which he got in, I think, American Studies. Right. And then he started teaching at UNM. Okay. Um, so he was a professor at the college there. Um, and I got all the way up to m- the middle of high school, and then he got a job teaching at Princeton, and so we moved east. So. Did you tell me you used to work as a mechanic? Yeah. When <laughs> I moved back to Albuquerque, right. after I, I actually dropped out of high school in the, okay. tw- in the 12th grade and moved back to Albuquerque... Yeah. And uh, I was a, worked, found a guy who ran this crazy company where he worked on Italian cars during the week, yeah, and then on I the weekends he went, ran rafting trips in a place called the Lower Box in northern New Mexico. Right. So I was a I was a mechanic during the week on Italian cars, and then on the weekends I was a raft. Can you still fix a car? I couldn't fix a modern car. Right. Cause they're all digital. Oh, I thought you know.
0: got that. Once you got into that, that's what you did. You always, have you got like a little old Mustang from the fifties at home I, like, that know? I kind of mentioned. I ought to, you but should. I don't. I know <laughs> it's good. Stressful. I know it is. I never went to college either. My old man was really smart. Like he was like scholarshiping his the fuck up the ladder yeah. and like yeah. you know, I was fluent in whatever language. <laughs> <laughs> I was useless. I was like, I like to say I was a straight C student yeah. in school. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think I dropped out really to just make my dad mad. Well, my my <laughs> you dad know? said to
0: me and hi dad if you're listening uh he said to me when I was like 18 I've, I've paid the deposit for UCD University College Dublin and I said whoa, whoa 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 whoa! I never agreed to go to college no you're going to college to do an arts degree which is useless yeah and I, I know if I, started, I started working in Ogilvy at 18 did you yeah so I was like I, I'm like I've got 27 years experience <laughs> that's why I'm retired <laughs> <laughs> but by that, we, I mean, we kind of went nose to nose about it because yeah. I would say you can't I mean you know that whole thing until you're 18 years old. Yeah, when I'm, 18 I'm now years years I'm
1: 18. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: So what did you do?
1: So when I left, uh,
0: like, yeah, so you were back, back to New to Mexico. Me. Yeah.
1: But I got bored and then moved to New York and was tending bar here ah. and met somebody sitting across the bar from me said, Hey, you'd be good at advertising. We got into this conversation. Brilliant. You'd be good in advertising. I know somebody at McCann Erickson. They introduced me to the head of personnel at McCann, and I got a job essentially in the mail room at McCann. And why did he say that? The pr- what bar was it, first Uh It was a God. I'm trying to remember the name of the bar. It was in the East Village. Is it still there? It is. Well, one of the couple of the bars I worked at are still there. I worked at um, the Olive Tree Cafe and the Comedy Cellar right underneath oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Um, but it wasn't there. I can't remember the name of the bar. So did you see a
0: lot of those? comics coming through Then, oh, Is that yeah how you know those totally that's yeah. not, uh, no. not not how I I'm. he's a friend of Mark Maron's and uh, yeah. who, what's the other guy's name
1: uh, Mike Judge Mike Judge yeah both of I was them. actually
0: listening to a podcast and they were Marin was talking about Ty but I know Ty <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah no Maron and I uh, went to like grade school together we ah. were in like the 5th grade 4th grade together oh, was and he a grumpy fuck back then Judge same thing he was he was, was. Yeah. He was. <laughs> He was. God, no, no change You there. kind of feel sorry for him. No that's change. That's why I listen to his podcast, yeah. just to yeah.
0: massage him a little bit. Sorry, Mark. Mark. Um, but uh, what was the comedy clip-seller like back then?
1: Oh, it was great. You know, it was. I was in my... It was Bill Hicks there? I was, Bill Hicks was there. Wow. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried was there. Why did they say to you,
0: whoever this guy was, that you'd be good at advertising?
1: I don't know. I think I just got on a tear and... Right. Uh, told Some good jokes or right, something. Right, okay, okay. Uh, you know, I, yeah. he, I just, he found me entertaining for some reason. I remember, like, did you know Danny Higgins?
0: Friend of mine from I don't Asia. Think I knew Danny. But Danny was a, a barrow boy from London. Yeah. His dad ran a vegetable stand, and then his dad died, and then Danny took over the vegetable stand. And he used to write funny. Uh, I've got melons like tits or something, you know, like little little funny <laughs> chalkboard funny. things. Alan Parker's <laughs> wife, really? Said
1: like, you'd be good at <laughs>
0: advertising. There you go.
1: There you go. You could do it. Then I remember that happened to a couple of guys in Madison, Wisconsin, who ran a liquor store. Yeah. And they used to put uh, posters in their windows that were really funny, and somebody yeah. got onto oh, them. J and B Scotch, I think, got onto them and were like, "You guys are going to do our next campaign." And did it.
0: Why not? I know it's the equivalent awesome. of getting one of those guys who does a YouTube video. And, exactly, on board, so. and
1: you know, like I think, I, I think that's something that advertising always has had and kind of always will need is being in touch with like real, regular people in the mm. world in a way that other businesses, you know, has to be because there are so many. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. I think it's a little bit in danger of not being, but... Yes, um, for some time. Thanks like to yeah. the fanners. Yeah. And people like me. <laughs> Fuck! It's uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's
0: why I'm not in one anymore. And um, the...
1: the what, so you are in the mailroom where? Um, McCann Erickson. I oh, was lovely. actually doing something that I'm sure is not, no longer done because it's digital, but uh, I was stuffing... They used to generate... For every ad that got put in a magazine, they something called a print insertion order was created, and I was stuffing print insertion order in envelopes on the Winston cigarettes account at McCann wow. Erickson doesn't get much better than that oh my god living the dream <laughs> and um for one day got off on the wrong I had no idea like there was a creative department I got off on the wrong floor at McCann and there were all these guys and and, and women laying around like on their couches throwing pencils into their <laughs> ceiling tiles yeah. I was like what the fuck is this job because I'd be good at this job yeah and uh, somebody said, oh, it's the creative department. And it's you gotta, like the Hudsucker Proxy. Totally. <laughs> and so you got to put together a portfolio to do that. And I was like, how do you do that? And signed up to take a class uh, from someone who was teaching copywriting out right. of their house. And uh, that person also, is now my wife. That.
0: Oh, is that right,
1: Danny? Ah, yeah, that's so awesome. Danny taught
0: you copyright. Did, did she get a royalty for this? <laughs> she, she's one of the biggest. His wife well. is one of the biggest headhunters in New York, uh, so no doubt she is. She, whenever it comes to her getting money off, he's like, "Oh, <laughs> I made you."
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's made for some interesting conversations. Over so, did you two? Like,
0: so you went to her classes and then a romance blossomed. Uh...
1: Oh, much later. <laughs> really? Much later. No.
0: Much later. Okay, much, later. much later. Um, And so then, did you move into McCann's creative department? No, I didn't. No. I
1: put I sent my book into the creative department and I got rejected there. Yeah. And I got rejected pretty much everywhere in New York for about a year. And How was that feeling? Like, what was it sucked. I mean, yeah. it was hard. It was hard. Uh, I remember f- sitting outside JWT. As a junior writer, the woman who did recruiting there was a woman named Linda Both. And you know, looking up at that building, going, "God, someday I'm going to be in there." Really? Yeah. So you
0: had that ambition in you. I I did. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, and you know, I mean, years later it came true. But who knew? Yeah, Yeah. Funny.
0: And so, what? Where did you land then? I finally. My first job job.
1: was uh, at Scally McCabe Sloans, no longer in existence, but good agency at the time. It had just gone through a transition. One of the founders, Ed McCabe, who was uh, you know kind of a famous copywriter, and um, had left the company, and I was the first copywriter to get hired by his partner, Sam Scally. So I was. Deeply suspect in the creative department at Gallery yeah. Cave Slams, and kind of had to earn my way in. Yeah. It was terrifying. But uh, did you take to it though, like a It's still, it still to a good culture. Yet? Yeah, no, I loved it right away, yeah. instantaneously. Yet, I knew. Like, how I come do you weren't?
0: How come no one spotted that? Do you think it. you turned into one of the biggest names in the business?
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, look, everything is a combination of like talent and look, luck. Yeah, you know, yeah. like really, it I is, agree. which is terrifying. And also persistence, right? I was passionate about it. Once I... Of got it under my skin, I was not going to let go of it, yeah. so I just kept going until you know, I, I somebody finally was like, Yeah, we'll give you a
0: shot. I don't know, I mean, I, I think it, when I look back as well, there's the, you, you everyone says you make your own look, but I think look is huge.
1: When during that time, I, I, I got a, I got my first interview, you know, it's mm-hmm. like the first time mm-hmm. you get called in to actually talk to someone yeah, who has a job, you know, just like on a file, creator. right. And um, this guy spent an hour with me, and spent that hour tearing apart every piece of work in my book. And I was taking notes yeah. the whole time. And I left that meeting and redid my entire book Great. based on what he had to say. But it turned out he was an idiot. My <laughs> book was better the first. <laughs> my time. book was better the first time, and so. This is a piece of advice I've given people who I talk to every time. It's like, your book is you. Make sure it's you and not somebody else. And if you've got to fight for that, fight for it. What you're going to get hired for, what you're going to do for the rest
0: of your career is you. When you look for talent, what do you look
1: for? So when, when, when I was more in the advertising business, I was interested in the ad work vaguely like I wanted to see that somebody had some at least ideas, whether they were executed well or not was not really all that interesting to me. Seeds of ideas but I was also, I wanted people who had other projects going in their life, things that were not advertising, right, because I've always felt like the best ad creatives are people who are just plugged into culture in really interesting ways and are really passionate about something that is artistic but isn't advertising or creative but yeah. isn't advertising um, and so it was i always look for those combination people and passion counted with me a lot you okay, know like yeah. i just i was looking for people with fire in their belly and yeah. who wanted to prove themselves and who were afraid to come back and back and back what was the big
0: job you got what was the first big job
1: uh scally then i went to shy Day. from there then i went uh, bill hamilton and uh and uh, Rick Boyko went over to Ogilvy. I followed them. Did that for about a year. Then I joined uh, Goldsmith Jeffrey, which was a small startup at the time, which was Gary Goldsmith and Bob Jeffrey. At the boat yeah, yeah, Obviously and worked, worked there the for them. Which sort of ultimately led to the JBT job with Bob uh, down the road. But then from Goldsmith Jeffrey, I went back to Shyde Day for a couple of years, um, and then from Shiat I went to actually back to Scali. Ah. and then John Haggerty called me up and uh, made me an offer that was too good to refuse I know <laughs> so then I helped uh, the BBH start BBH New York ah, that okay. was me and Cindy Gallop and a he's a great guy boy. John he is
0: he? great yeah Really nice, it.
1: And then widening Kennedy for four or five years, and then JBT. So, were you doing? We what was the best do.
0: thing you've done? <clears throat> like your your best ad? I guess that you like
1: most. The thing I did that I'm proudest of is something I don't think a lot of people will have even heard of, um, but it was a. Uh, it was at widening Kennedy. ESPN um, was getting into the gaming business, and so there was a, a game called. Um, NFL 2K, uh, ESPN was rebranding it as ESPN Football back in 2003. That was the first, you know, what the term now, the kind of t- trendy term of art, I think, is transmedia storytelling. Yes, yeah, but yeah, we. Yeah. Uh, I, I had been hanging out with the guys who had done the Blair Witch Project. I was learning. I was a student. They were masters at the idea of taking a story, smashing it into pieces, yeah. hiding it around and the fuck world, with culture. and yeah, fucking with culture. Yeah. And uh, so we did this thing called Beta Seven about a beta tester who started having these terrible symptoms after playing beta testing this new game. The thing was, this game is too intense to so you. Creating games. a disease. Yeah, we yeah, created a disease. A and and this guy decided <laughs> he was going to take down. The, the gaming company and the gaming company was denying that there was a problem, and so we right. created this big. It was the most fun I've ever had in the business. Yeah. Like it was just awesome.
0: I mean, we had a few cracks together with Home Depot and yeah. stuff like that. With stuff that was really different. It's just so hard to get clients to. Oh my god! Move away from the shit.
1: I was really proud of our Home Depot. Yeah. Coach. I don't yeah. Know, like. That's a bummer.
0: You're only as really good as the sort of guy you have with the checkbook, you know.
1: Well, I mean, I think ultimately that's what that's that's what you know made me decide to try something different was because it's really hard. It's really hard to sell anything that isn't an ad from inside an ad agency. Yeah, you know what I mean.
0: And those people don't go to JWT for that. That's right. They exactly. go to JWT for JWTness. Exactly. You know, which is exactly. two hundred people in a room. Yeah, where two would do, maybe. right? Exactly. Um, so tell me what Co does different to ad agencies. So,
1: are our- and
0: why you decided.
1: Yeah, I guess you know, our belief here is, is in something we call story doing. So we really believe story just just like in advertising story is super important. So we help really leadership teams align on, on a narrative that we call a quest. What is the higher purpose that you serve as a business? Yeah. I guess our, our belief is companies that serve a higher purpose in the world are going to do better than companies that don't just because millennials really give a shit about that now. Yeah. you know, There's evidence that millennials will take a cut and pay to yeah. work at a company that's doing something that they believe matters in mm-hmm. the world. So figuring out what your quest is, getting your leadership team aligned around that, and then making that quest real in the customer experience using... Um, Innovation, so making, creating experiences that they've never had before, and those experiences sometimes are products, sometimes they're services, sometimes they're business models. Yeah.
0: Um, What's a good example of one you've done that would 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 illustrate
1: it? Yeah, I'll give you an example that we did a a little while back. Generally, that's that's the big difference. Also, is that it works better when you're working outside the marketing silo. Marketing can be involved, but you're working with the whole leadership team and the CEO. So, we worked with a company called Shackley, which is a vitamins and supplements company, mm-hmm. and helped them create and launch a new product, which is called 180. It's a weight loss product that right. allows you to, the idea is 180, do, turn your life around, yeah. 90 days to take weight off, 90 days to keep weight off, mm-hmm. um, or learn the habits to keep weight off, and it's uh, we help them develop the app, we help them develop the food products, we help them develop the website where it's all managed we helped them do the packaging naming and then ultimately the launch right um, you know it's that kind of of kind of comprehensive holistic yeah s- tell the story through every possible medium yeah kind of I came in to see you last year and
0: I was I was amazed at how big it's got you know yeah. Cause I, I, I had this feeling you were like 20, 30 like cool little small shop but you got like yeah. a we're about 80 people 80 now. 80 people, yeah. that yeah, it feels fuzzy. I mean, it feels like a thing. And um, one of the things you're really keen on, I know, is culture and how whatever it is that you're making or doing or working on can impact on that. And at a sort of macro level, what do you see or how do you see your country going? We're, we're in election Donald Trump time at the moment. What do you, where do you see the country
1: going? Oh... Yeah, <laughs> I don't like talking about politics. Just makes, no, <laughs> no, just no. I, I politics, don't mind. T- no, I don't mind talking about politics yeah, at all. No like, right. I, 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 just it makes my head hurt. Like, I mean, it's obviously just a crazy time. I've never seen yeah. anything like it. It looks to me like the Republican Party is in the middle of just an epic meltdown. Yeah. Um, and I, was,
0: I guess the question I was thinking was, I, I was toying with the idea that how responsible are we? For the way the world is becoming this kind of mayhemic kind of place, yeah, you know, how responsible are we? As like not you and me, literally, but the app business, the the capitalism, the kind of the drop in in middle class in this country, yeah.
1: How well? This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Right. Like I, I, you know, I'm sure we're complicit, and I'm really passionate about trying to find figure out how to kind of reinvent capitalism in a way and and reinterpret it in a way that's modern. And we've actually prototyped an idea um, to to begin to do that and are taking it out to talk with companies to see who wants to help us kind of pilot it. The idea is pretty simple. I can can tell you about it just because I'm happy to share. I guess the the root of it is capitalism. Fundamentally, is about more m o r e. You know, buy more yeah. stuff, consume more things, keeps the economy going. And when we talk about sustainability, we talk generally about less. And the story of less is just fundamentally uninspiring to people because yeah. we've trained ourselves to think that more is better, less is less is dull. And a sustainable future in that. St- through that lens, looks gray and yeah. lifeless, and kind yeah. of about less opportunity and less yeah. abundance, and that's a false choice. Yeah. A sustainable future is about needs to be about yes. more innovation, more abundance, longer time horizons, um, and a better way of living. And so, we've created a thing that we call, that's called more M O R, and it's it's a movement to create a sustainable future that is built around a business model. I guess our premise is until sustainability becomes a for-profit business, it's always yeah. gonna be a hobby. Yeah. And so the idea well, is essentially, it, yeah. in the internet of, using the internet <coughs> of things. Today, if this coffee mug right here is, it, the, the person who manufactured this coffee mug right now makes it, sells it once, and yeah. it disappears from their life. The only way they make more money is by making another coffee mug and yeah. selling another one. There's no reason why this coffee mug has to leave uh, become invisible to the manufacturer. This coffee mug could be visible and connected to the manufacturer forever. And if the manufacturer made a royalty every time this coffee mug changed hands, then it, so they sell it once they make money. The coffee mug gets sold again. The manufacturer makes money. Sold again. The manufacturer hey, so now makes the money. cars is. Yep. And so you start to go, well, if if that thing is a revenue stream forever, first of all, I'm going to track it closely. Um, I want to know where it is in the world and i also want to make coffee mugs in a totally different way i want to yeah. make a coffee mug that's designed to last forever so all of a sudden all of your incentives around planned obsolescence and fast fashion and all of the things that are just trashing the world yeah. change completely yeah so we're we're talking to a couple of um, big companies about helping us pilot that idea into their that into their ecosystem.
0: It sounds wacky to try and get your head around, but there's something I can I can feel something in there that's very Yeah. And I think it does need that. I think it needs I had a thing called PCAP, which was poverty eradication in Africa through capitalism. It was an idea I came up with a few fifteen years ago. The that's idea cool. was that each company would like ISO would give you know, you did it a bit with me when I joined. You guys, you sent me off with Tony Piggott down to Haiti. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, I do. You know, like each company gives, a, a you know, four days of a planner. Yeah. Plus two creators for a year. And then you get a stamp for having done that. Yeah. And if you make... Plastics. You give your lathe over for a Sunday and you make something that someone's come up with. And if you're a design company, you come up with you know special things that cost a buck to make as part of your thing. And if the world, if capitalism suddenly started, instead of giving money to people, it started exactly. making things exactly. or doing what it does. So you're a shipping <clears throat> firm. We'll give it one ship every year that will move from this to this and stuff will get moving tricky, and but, you know, I had interest from, you know, people like General Electric were interested in that. Yeah. But it never got anywhere possibly due to my laziness as well, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, so are you positive or optimistic about the future or pessimistic?
1: I'm an optimist, you know, I'm an optimist. Like, I think, I think we live in sort of weird and possibly dangerous times. Yeah. Like, I'm not a, like a Pollyanna, but, yeah. uh, I, I'm a believer in in invention, you know, like I, I think so long as we remain open to new ways of living, entirely new solutions, yeah. the future's a bright place. Yeah. If we continue to hammer on this bad old way of living in the world, yeah. then we are fucked, and yeah. we kind of deserve to be fucked, so, <laughs> You're
0: you, know? Right. you know what I mean? What would you say, what do you say to your, when you look back, because you have had a very interesting career in terms of how you got to up, what would you say to your younger self?
1: Yeah, I would have, uh, really, I had the greatest time in the advertising business. Like, it, it's a fun business. And yeah. you meet, you know, lunatics like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so, the only advice I would give myself is, like, do your own thing sooner. Mm. You know what I mean? It took me a good long time to start my own place. And... Uh, it's been I mean it's scary as hell but it's also really really fun
0: yeah Uh, I never did it because it was a bit like I don't look like children or having children so I felt like it was like having a child a bit it is a dependent it is a dependent you know and also I suppose a good lesson you learned was if a creative director tells you to fix something in your book don't
1: yeah yeah absolutely you do you would be my advice right and let Fucking, there's a great George Bernard Shaw quote. Uh, The reasonable man uh, conforms himself to the world, the unreasonable man conforms the world to himself. Therefore, no progress is possible without the unreasonable man. My advice is be unreasonable.
0: It's a great place to end. And Ty Montague, thank you so much for appearing on a pint with Shawnee B. We've in the, in the spirit of New York we very rarely actually have a pint, but we will at some point. <laughs> I have some water here, but thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's great talking to you, catching up again. the best of luck with more, and the best of luck with, with Co Great to be here. Thanks, Sean. Cheers, buddy.